Good to see you all. How are we feeling today? You doing well? Yeah? Yeah? I find that this time of year is funny, isn't it? Because I think if, if, if I was to chart a graph of like my energy levels across the course of the average year, November is the bottom. November is, is, is as tight as it gets. At the back end of November, beginning of December, is the bottom of the bottom. It's like um, we're, we're just taking that last final in-breath before we do the crazy of Christmas, and then we're going to do the crazy of Christmas, and then we're going to lay low for January. And then in February, everyone's good to go. This is, I find this every year. It's actually quite a, quite a fortunate sort of timing for us today because of what we're looking at in the Word is a thing which I think applies particularly to us when we're tired. It's a thing um, that is probably more relevant today than it might be at other parts um, in the year. As you well know, we've been making our way through the, I'm going to say the beginning of Romans chapter 8, right? Not the whole of Romans chapter 8. Here we are, four, three sermons in. And we're about to start verse 5. So that's a pretty good pace thus far. Um, and as you, um, if you're just joining us, or if, just to refresh your memory, the, the theme that we've been looking at thus far is the theme of, of life in the Holy Spirit. This is the, the big theme of the book of Romans. As Mike reminded us last week, um, that because as Christians we have the Holy Spirit living in us, it is now possible for, check this, the righteous requirement of the law to be fulfilled in us. That the presence of God, the Holy Spirit living in us, changes the way that we live, not only in our eternal destination, but in our, in our present reality in this life. We experience a different kind of life here on earth by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Today, we take that idea up again, and we continue to expand what it is that we have been hearing. Why don't I read from Romans 8, verse 5? It should be up there on the screen for you as well, if that's helpful. Um, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I don't have verse 11 here on my screen, so I'll read it from here. <laughs> if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that good news? So we have uh, in this passage, obviously, a comparison. It's, it's good to do comparisons sometimes, to sort of see the difference between two things by holding them up next to each other. And what do we have held up before us now? We have two different kinds of being, really, isn't it? We have life lived according to the flesh, being compared and contrasted with life lived according to the spirit of God. This is the first thing we see. We see it in, in Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And the first, the first thing that we see is this, this according to, according to the Spirit, according to the flesh. Do you see that? It's a super important thing for us to understand about the life of faith, isn't it? That the Christian life, the Christian faith, is not just a set of ideas that we give mental assent to. It doesn't involve some small... Um, portion of a person's life, the Christian faith is the idea of a 
it, it, it's, it's total. It's, it's holistic. It involves the whole person and the whole of life. It is a matter of not just ideas, but of being. And this is, this is the piece which is critical. This is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a holidays thing. It is who you are or who you are not. It's supernatural. The, the, the Christian life, the life of faith, is necessarily miraculous. It's about, at its very core, an encounter with the living God who we know and relate to and walk with and dwell in. Your being, as a, as a human being today, everybody in this room, everybody you, you met driving past them on the, on the street today, everyone you walked past in the supermarket yesterday, your neighbors, everyone, their being is defined by their spiritual state, ultimately. And that spiritual state is one of two things. The first group of people that we see um, is, is those who live according to the flesh. And the second group of people we see is those who live according to the spirit. This is according to means by the, by the power of, through the principle of, on the basis of. The flesh. In your heart of hearts, the driving principle is either the flesh, which just means a, a sin nature that we're all born with. Fallen, human, sinful condition. Sort of the normal human being. Or your life will be lived according to the power of, the principle of, God's Holy Spirit, meaning the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit who is at work in believers to give us a new nature. Two kinds of people are living their lives on two different kinds of spiritual principle. Either you'll be living your life through your fallen nature, which you received through Adam by your first, by your first birth, and this will be the driving principle of your life. Or you will be living life according to a new nature, which you received through the Spirit of Christ at your new birth. And that is the driving principle of your life. This is what Jesus was on about when he was talking with Nicodemus back in the Gospel of John chapter 3, when he said to them, when he said to him, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. Right? This is, this is not a thing that an, an academic doing research can kind of figure out the facts and then having understood the facts is now saved. That's not, that's not how life with God works. That's not how the Christian um, life works. Having understood the Bible is a really useful thing. <laughs> It's a really necessary thing. It's a really important thing. But it's not the ultimate difference between someone who belongs to God and someone who does not. The difference between someone who is God's and someone who is separated from God is ultimately whether or not they have received the Holy Spirit, which you receive as Christians at the new birth, which takes place at the very beginning of the life of faith. In theology, this is called uh, a bunch of things. A good one is called being regenerate. Regenerate as opposed to unregenerate. We have been remade, regenerated. We have had a new beginning, a new birth. To be regenerate is to have a new beginning, a new birth, which creates a new nature and takes place on the basis of the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, has come to live in you. This is it. This is the, this is the core of the Christian faith, which means you will either live according to one of these spiritual principles or the other. You will live out of, in accordance with, by the driving force of either your flesh nature or by the power of God's Holy Spirit living in you. We'll see it further down. We are all born having a flesh nature, right? That We've established that surely by now in the book of Romans, that this is the inescapable problem of the human condition. But when we place our faith in Jesus as Savior, he has promised to all and sundry that he will send his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to be in us and to be with us, and that he, the Holy Spirit, will give us a new heart, a new nature, a new eternal destination, a new standing with God. Sadly, the old nature is still present, isn't it? Isn't that just a doozy for now? 
And yet we know that once that spirit, once, once God himself has taken up residence in the life of a person, that that old nature is a defeated foe. We've been set free from slavery to it. And because of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit within us, when Jesus returns, that old nature, we have a promise, is going to be obliterated forever. It's not going to be like this forever. You will live forever, according to the Spirit, Christians. However, here in this life, human beings will live either according to the flesh or according to the Spirit, depending on whether or not they have the Spirit. And the rest of our passage just, just keeps holding out to us all of the differences that life lived in one spiritual state looks like versus what life lived in the other spiritual state looks like. Here's, here's an interesting one. It might not be the first implication that we think of, but the very, first, the very next place that Paul goes in this passage is to tell us that those who live in either of these spiritual states will have a difference in them in regards to what their mind is set on. In regards to what their mind is set on. Did you see that? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, which means one of the first differences that that the presence of the Holy Spirit makes versus the, the controlling influence of the flesh nature is that it changes the way which our minds think. Isn't that interesting? Set your mind on. What is it to set your mind on? It means that your internal thought world, what you dwell on in your mind, what you think about constantly, has its origin in your spiritual state. You feel that? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. There's no, there's no doubt there that if, if you are in the flesh, if you are living according to the flesh, your mind will be set on the things of the flesh. Likewise, those who live according to the spirit they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There's, there's no doubt here. So what does it, what does it mean to, to set my mind on something? Really, really helpful thing here. We can get it up. There's a, a description of it from the ESV Study Bible, which I thought was just wonderful. It says, to set the mind on the flesh, for example, it means to think continually about and constantly desire the things characteristic of fallen, sinful human nature. That is, to think just the way the unbelieving world thinks. Emphasizing what it thinks is important. Pursuing what it pursues. And here's the last important piece, in disregard of God's will. Emphasizing what it thinks is is important. Pursuing what it pursues in disregard of God's will will, that the mind is dedicated to the things that an unregenerate mind is dedicated to, is to set your mind on the things of the flesh. Now, you you might be sitting there thinking, to think the way the unbelieving world thinks, what's wrong with that? Surely that's, I mean, God's not going to have a problem with my thought life, is he? (laughs) Do you remember what we heard in Romans chapter 1, all the way back in Romans 1? When was Romans 1, Mike? I can't even remember. It's probably, I'm going to confidently say early this year, but it may have been last year. I think it was actually last year. This year, good stuff. I don't know. Time, time is irrelevant to me. That's a, that's a thing that you've all discovered. Bit of a goldfish. All the way back in Romans 1, what we saw was that one of the effects of the fall, when the, when the whole human race became sinful, back in the Adam and Eve days, one of the effects of the fall was that our thinking became futile. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Futile. Futile can mean ineffective, 
It can mean pointless. It can mean meaningless. You don't have to have in your mind here, when you think of the, the, the life set with the mind set on the things of the flesh, you don't have to be imagining a person who is constantly plotting the most evil things imaginable. Right? We see those evil things in our world. That's, that's, yeah, that counts. No, no, this, this can be the, the, the nice, polite granny living next door has her mind set on the things of the flesh. That definition before was helpful, wasn't it? A mind preoccupied with pursuing what the unbelieving world pursues. Jesus isn't on that list. Do you understand? Giving glory to God, our maker, is not on that list. If you live the standard Australian dream as a good citizen and you leave God out and you put him to the side, that is fleshly thinking. Fallen, unregenerate, earthly thinking. Like, what, what, are you, what, are you, what is your mind filled with if you're, if you're not a believer? Earthly things. Not necessarily evil things, you feel me? Um, good things even. My, my lifestyle, my family, my career, my, my hobbies, what have you. These, these sorts of things, the, the mind dwells on them to the exclusion of dwelling on the one who gave us this life with all of these hobbies and all of these things and all of these relationships to enjoy. Earthly things, not necessarily evil things, good things even, but things which have been separated from their eternal meaning and are therefore futile. And things which will ultimately result in the death of a soul because that impending disaster is coming for all without the mercy of God and are of no use in rescuing them and therefore futile. Salvation from sin, check this, salvation from sin through faith in Jesus includes having your mind rescued from futile thinking. Can you imagine it? Literally, that's all you can do is imagine it because we're talking about thinking. Oh, that was better than that. Come on. Ha, ha. Just think with me. As Christians, we believe in the creator to whom we will all give an account. And that leads to a number of different foundational assumptions about what is good and what is evil, what is permissible, what is impermissible. It, it leads to different goals and different priorities in life. Sometimes the unbelieving world will think us foolish because we don't value what they value. Sometimes the unbelieving world will find us confusing because we value what they don't value. Hopefully that difference is winsome. But not only do we believe a different thing, this is, this is from the, the foundational level of our being up. God the Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out to love and to desire and to think about the things of God, which is utterly transformative throughout the whole of life. Think about how much of your life is created by the way in which you think. Like, uh, they've got this horrible thing on phones now where you can look up how much time you spend looking at the screen and what you're looking at. Have you, have you found this function yet? My, my, my wife's iPhone has it. I've got a different kind of phone and I haven't found it yet, which is good news for me because I don't want to know what I look at. I don't want to know what I spend my days doing when my, when my mind is, is wandering. The whole of life is like this. Imagine, imagine if there was a whole of life app that showed you what your internal monologue looks like throughout the course of a day. Would you, would you be <laughs> happy with what that looks like? Does it have a privacy setting? Hopefully it does. 
and I want to share that with the public. So in contrast to having your mind set on the things of the flesh, to set your mind on the things of the spirit is to have a mind which is often preoccupied with God. A mind which, which thinks about him. It, it thinks about his ways. It thinks about his design for life. You think about his purposes in your present circumstances and his grace and how precious it is. You think about what it is that it's going to look like to serve him 10 years from now. Do you think about God much? That's the, that's the question really, isn't it? Does he, does he have a place in your mind that then plays itself out into the rest of your life? What, what place is it that he holds? Why don't you imagine with me two people go on a walk through the forest together. Both people are enjoying the walk quite a lot. It's quite pleasant. The, the temperature is just right. They don't have any of this humidity that we have to worry about. They both look at the pretty trees and the flowers and they, they hear all the birds, especially the whip bird. That's my personal favorite. This, that you only hear in the rainforest. I think he's really cute. You hear all those birds and one thinks, look at the pretty trees and the flowers. Listen to all those birds. How lovely. What a beautiful rainforest. I'm really enjoying myself. Nothing wrong with that. And the other thinks... All those same things. How lovely is all of this? How kind of my God to make this forest for me to enjoy and see his glory. Same experience. Same rainforests. Both are enjoying themselves. But one is heavenly minded and the other, God never enters the imagination. <laughs> what about this one? Two people go to church on a Sunday together. After the service, they have a chat. Says person A. Did you see that game last week? I can't believe how bad that rest call was. Can you imagine? I mean, if he can get paid all that money doing that job, I could get paid all that money. Why don't they hire me? I would do a better job. Says the other. Did you hear the sermon? I, I, I knew beforehand that God is like that, but this part of his character really stood out to me anew and afresh, and it, it shed some light on my understanding of, of a thing that happened to me this week. I just realized that he was closer to me than I knew, and he was blessing me even while I wasn't paying attention. How kind is he? Now, look, lest we be too reductionistic and everyone feels super guilty for talking about the game last night when you go um, and talk, you can talk about whatever you want after church. No one's keeping track. We don't have microphones in the ceiling. You have one in your pocket. It's your own choice. <laughs> You're not going to get in trouble for talking about the things that people talk about. But it does serve as an illustration, doesn't it, of just a simple way that this difference shows up because the unregenerate person who attends church will week after week after week after week come and enjoy church and leave on unaffected spiritually. But to the regenerate person, the center of today, the center, what makes this so wonderful, the reason why we would waste our time every Sunday morning while everyone else is staying inside away from the humidity it's because there's, there's a thing here which we love and adore and, 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 and enjoy. And the thing is God himself. A person with a mind set on the flesh and a person with a mind set on the spirit can experience the same things in life, but their apprehension of it, their, 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 their benefit that they receive from this thing, their thought world, are so completely different. Part of what the Spirit transforms in those who have been saved is to change the way we think, to change what we notice, to change what we value, to change what we prioritize. Now, the rest of this passage goes on and tells us that these differences lead to drastically different spiritual outcomes in this life and the next. In this life and the next. Romans 8, 6. We're only one verse in. I'm so sorry. 
we've been setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. So it was time, time well spent. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. How's that for a contrast? It doesn't get much more black and white than that. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. What's wrong with setting your mind on earthly things which are harming no one? Well, ultimately, it'll kill you. It matters. Here is the clear contrast. This is urgent. This is important. The mind which is set on the flesh is death. Let's look at that one first, right? So we can get to the good one second. The mind which is set on the flesh is death. That's, a, that's, strong, that's strong language. Feel that. Futile thinking leads to futile outcomes. Futile thinking leads to futile outcomes. The ultimate end of a life lived rejecting God's grace or just plain ignoring it literally has spiritual death as its consequence. That is the end result of all who reject the grace of God, who fail to receive the grace of God. But the problem doesn't begin there at the end. It's, it's the whole way through. The whole of life, this spiritual death is being experienced by those who are living according to the flesh and therefore thinking according to the flesh. Their whole life is defined by spiritual death. It doesn't begin at the end. The mind, approaches, the mind that approaches life through the flesh is dead already. Ultimately pointless. Destined for punishment. That's a big statement that should hit us like a hammer. Maybe we get used to hearing it because we've been around church for long enough. Life lived without God is death. Death. Just the enormity of that statement. Like, is it possible for me to state it so strongly as to be exaggerating? Where can I go past death to impress on you how big what this means is? This isn't a problem of percentages. Like, like life, in, life lived in the spirit is life at 100%, but life lived in the flesh is 98%, which is, I mean, like, you know, it's two years old and the battery doesn't charge anymore. And that's, that's the best we could ever hope for on a good day anyway. This is the difference between life and death and the contrast. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Even now, like, even now, Christians, you're experiencing this. Life, the opposite of death. Ultimately, the, the mind which is set on the spirit is heading towards an eternal life with God, rescued from the power and the penalty and even the presence of sin. But this, this, this life doesn't start then. It starts even now. Death is being swallowed up by life, like, like, like a vine growing up a ruined building and taking over and blossoming into flower. Death is being swallowed up by life in those who have received the Spirit of God. Life is conquering death in you because life himself has come to make his home in you. Isn't that good news? And now even your mind revolves around life-giving spiritual principles. Your thought life is living. It's hope-filled. It has a future. It has a purpose. It has ultimate meaning and peace. If life wasn't enough, peace. The knowledge of God's promises leads you to have peace in all of life's circumstances. Not the peace of knowing that God is not against you, but is for you. But even more than that, just the way we weather the storms of life is different. Surely, 
surely we have seen over the last two years that all have suffered. Life has been tricky. We, like not everyone has suffered equally. Some have had it worse than others. But two years in, surely all of us at some point have, have missed out on some important thing. Some family member couldn't come to visit. So, some, some of you have lost jobs or, or been at risk of losing jobs. All have experienced these things. But we who have the anchor of God being in his right place in our lives, in our being, and also in our thinking, surely we have access to a strength and a peace that we could not have had in these times without him. All have had uncertainty, but we've had uncertainty with the presence of the sovereign God of heaven who knows all things and is determined to bless his children. What about the emotional damage that we take in life? People sin against us. People disappoint us. We live through traumatic circumstances. And the Spirit of God giving life and peace to us gives us reason and power to reconcile and to forgive and to move away from bitterness. Life lived according to the flesh. Doesn't the mind circle the drain? Isn't that your nature? According to the flesh? to dwell on all the worst things in life. No, the presence of the Spirit gives us rest for our souls, and I would dare say, rest for our minds, to find delight, even in the desert. A mind that is fixed on the things of the Spirit will always be moving towards the good ends of the Spirit in life, will be moving towards the the life and the life to the full that Jesus has won for us, rather than dwelling in futility on bitterness. They, they, they say unforgiveness is like letting someone live in your head rent-free. Have you heard that? Why? Because you think about them all the time, the person who has offended you. How dare they say that? The other day, my doctor called me fat. I'm going to get a new doctor. <laughs> I want a second opinion, Doc. The mind relives that moment again and again. Look, I'm just saying you could lose 15, he says. You'll notice that I'm back at the gym. There is a freedom through the Spirit to move past that and heal, a reason to move past that and heal, a power to move past that and heal. Yes, it takes time. And yet, the Spirit makes all the difference in a very real and practical sense. As the futility of thinking around just dwelling, just, you know know when you're indulging mentally on the wrong things, don't you? And the Spirit of God has come to set us free and to, to get us off that downward spiral and to just, just pick us up and plant us on, on the firm soil of Christ. Now, this next bit explains so much. Why is it, why is it that what the mind dwells on would have such drastic outcomes in life? Why is it that what the mind dwells on would have such such drastically different outcomes in life, and we have it explained to us next, that these mindsets approach God differently. We'll do the negative first again. The mind, verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Huge. 
Why is the mind that is set on the flesh death? Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. How can you have life when you are hostile to God? Not only does it not submit to God's law, it cannot submit to God's law. That That is the spiritual state of all humans without the spirit. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you live life according to the flesh, if you live out of your fallen human nature, if you are born as a human and do nothing more spiritually other than have been born, you will think according to the flesh and from your mind down to your heart to your being, you will be hostile to God. God's not your enemy. You will be his. This hostility can be outright hostility, right? Go on the internet, look for incident atheists. Don't bother. It's a waste of time. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's that they hate him. They're angry, bitter, petty. But it can also be passive hostility, right? It's probably more common. God and I have a truce. He leaves me alone. I leave him alone. Sometimes I go to church at Christmas for the carols. We're good. That mind does not submit to God's law, but scarier. Cannot. Cannot. The flesh nature cannot please God. Couldn't we just do a whole sermon just here? The flesh nature cannot please God. I was literally saying to Mike before the service that I actually want to do three sermons in this passage, not one. So that's why you're copying it today. Those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. We need to believe this because it, it's hard. It's hard to believe. This is this is black and white. This is this is the this is the difficult part of Christianity. What if they do a nice thing? My next door neighbor is not a believer. It's not true. I don't have a next door neighbor that I know yet. I've just moved house. Um, let's assume that one of my next door neighbors is the most generous of souls, and is about to go dig wells in some part of the world where people don't have access to clean water. Going to use their time and their money to produce this this good thing in the world. Is that pleasing to God? No. Not if they are in the flesh. Do you feel this? This is this is huge. The flesh nature cannot please God. Not pleasing to God. Not performed in faith, and therefore performed in hostility to God in a mind filled with futility. M- m- medical doctors. They take their, their Hippocratic oath to do no harm. They want to be a blessing. They want to give life and and healing in this world. But without the promise of eternal life, what are they? The the delayers. We should call them delayers instead of doctors. Delaying the inevitable. Not pleasing to God. If not performed in faith, performed in hostility to God. His words, not mine. Like, if it was my words, you'd have a reason not to believe me. It's so extreme, isn't it? Everything in us, everything in us carries the stain of sin. Even the best bits. This is why the prophet Isaiah describes us by saying that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. If our righteousness is darkness, (laughs) how dark is the darkness? The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Could you think of, how is it possible to dig a well for an orphan 
whilst being hostile to God. And yet, this is what we're being told. It kind of reminds me of, of we see it so often. Here's, an extreme, here's, here's, a, here's a clear example. You know, when, when people do charitable giving, but with an ulterior motive, isn't it odious? Like, it's, it's better that the giving was done than not done, but it, it, is, a, it, is, it is a missing of the point, right? When, when, um, when corporations, is my favorite one, do these big, like, we're going to give this huge amount of charity money to this charity, aren't we amazing? And it's all over their social media. Meanwhile, they're in court for slave labor in another country, right? It happens all the time. I'm like, yeah, technically, that is charity, I suppose, to them. It's not pleasing to God. It wasn't given with the right motive. It was given with the benefit of the giver in mind. The flesh nature does not love the Lord, does not love the Lord. Kind actions performed in that spiritual state are performed for a different reason than the glory of God. And that is why you can be a good citizen and be terribly offensive to the Lord. A life lived in the flesh is, by definition, hostile to God. This is hopeless as hopeless. But, you ready for it? Surely you're ready for it by now. Romans 8, 9, and 10, and 11. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but... If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of, the, because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness is? It's a cool thing here that I should uh, give you a shout out to while we've got it up on the screen. Um, the spirit of God and Christ are used interchangeably. Did you notice that? You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, three names, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and Christ, all used to say the same thing. I love our Trinitarian God. This is, this is, this is, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you have Christ in you. Isn't that amazing? If you have the Spirit of God in you, you have Christ in you. This is why Jesus says it was better for us for him to go away. All of us who have the Spirit in us have Christ in us. That's going to make a bigger splash in this world than the earthly physical presence of Jesus in one place at one time. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the Christian. This is where we are back where we began. There is no uncertainty here. This is life lived according to the Spirit. The spiritual state of your life decides your thought life, your outcomes, your approach to God, which decides your spiritual state. There's a big circle here. I get it. Life lived in the flesh is a downward spiral away from God that has no break in the circle, but for the intervention of God. 
And life in the spirit is an unending, escalating spiral of blessing as we make our way towards God, the source of life and peace and existence and blessing and goodness. Life lived according to the spirit will result in you approaching God in worship, in receiving his grace and experiencing his gentleness and his mercy and his restoration, you will delight in him. You will think about him. You will live life here on this earth under this kind of banner and hope and plan, and you will have the certain hope of eternal life if you are living according to the Spirit. Who lives according to the Spirit? Anyone who has the Spirit. It is not possible, brothers and sisters, for you to have the Spirit of God in you and not live according to the Spirit. Likewise, anyone who has the Spirit is His. There is is so much certainty here for us. And so today's not a lecture on, hey, think better thoughts something better than that we'll get there (laughs) i can see two applications for this and both of them we must not miss if we're going to get the balance of what is being described here right the first is this if you are hearing the sound of my voice make sure that you have received the holy spirit anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him let's make sure we belong to him There is no substitute for this. Ultimately, your standing with God, which produces all the rest of the things that we've talked about, will not be decided by the things that you do, the things that you know, or the things that you experience. It will be decided by whether or not Christ has taken up residence in your heart of hearts. Jesus promised that his Holy Spirit would come to dwell in his followers. Before he went to the cross, he said this to his disciples, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. God calls himself our helper? Like, are you kidding me? That's amazing. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. This is before Christ's resurrection. He dwells with you and will be in you, this side of Christ's resurrection. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, says Jesus. And he has kept good on that promise because if you are here today as a believer, the spirit of Christ dwells with you and Christ has not left you as an orphan. He has come to you. There's a great picture of it in Revelation 3 where where Jesus is giving a message to a church. Um, and he, just, he describes what he wants from them in these terms. He says in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Right now, perhaps Jesus is standing at the door of a few hearts, knocking. Let me in. You need me. There's no substitute. To have me is life and peace. Rest for your souls. Let me in. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know for certain that I have ever received the Spirit of God. 
I don't know for certain that I am regenerate, that I've been born again. And you want that. If you, you, you want to open the door and let him in. Why don't you quickly pray this prayer with me right now? Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, I invite you in by faith in him. Come to me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And contrawise, all who have the Spirit of Christ belong to him. Once we have that in place, only once we have that in place, only once we are connected to the God of heaven, can we then, as Christians, turn to the next part of what this passage is is conveying to us, which is to be called to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Here it is a promise. You will succeed. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it is a command. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we are told this. Brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Brothers, we, we live in a world whose thought life is defined by the toxicity of social media. Hasn't it just been so disappointing? I've noticed it even with my family, that the internet is becoming real life. There is so much resentment and futility in this world that wants to claim our minds. So here's a good idea. Why don't we who who have been filled with the Spirit of Christ, why don't we cooperate with God by letting him occupy our minds instead? There is a life-giving habit for us here. <laughs> and maybe, maybe a, a, an opportunity to be released from a life-destroying habit. Go home and, and look at that screen time, maybe, <laughs> and, and see how much of your mind has been occupied with that muck and that mire. We, as Christians, we still have the old flesh nature hanging around. You will know, you will know it, when you are being pulled into the old way of thinking. You will know when you got through your whole day only seeing what the unbelieving version of yourself would have seen. You will know when your mind is circling the drain. You also know what things in your life encourage you to stay there. So don't stay there. Look up. Look up. Give your attention to the source of life and peace. Cooperate with God's desire to bless you. This is like, this should be the easiest advice in the whole world to follow, wouldn't it? And yet without the Spirit, we never would. Have as many things in your life as possible that call your attention to Him, that help you find your delight in Him. Because those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. What a wonderful promise. Let's pray. Such rich food, our Lord, you give for us in your word, such a, a platter of delights. 
one of the things that even, even this far into the Christian life that I'm so continually amazed by, Lord, is how you take my secret thoughts and you put them on a page of a book written thousands of years before I lived. You get us. You describe us so precisely. You understand us. Sometimes that's frightening <laughs> because there is a darkness in us. There is. There is a futility in the human race. There's a corruption. It's in me. Mm. Uh, but those of us who have received the Spirit of Christ, we see something else at work in us as well. We see death being swallowed up by life. We have the sure and certain hope that we belong to you. We have access now to life and peace with you. Father, I freely confess that even just this week, I have not taken advantage of such a wonderful promise like I should. I failed to notice the good things in this world and notice the bad things. All of my hopes and my aspirations, Lord, so many of them were caught up in living for things which are passing away. When I found myself in difficulty or in sin, I looked inwards, not to the spirit, but to my flesh for the power to escape. Lord, that's not, that's not the only thing which is true. Lord, that whole time, your spirit was at work in me to rescue me from futility, to redeem my suffering, to forgive my sin, to give me hope. And so because you are in me and because I am yours, it was all worthwhile. Lord, the old hymn says, this is my story, this is my song, praising my saviour all the day long. What a rich blessing. Lord, would you give my eyes <laughs> and my mind just a, a, different, a different filter to assess what is important to notice and give my attention to, to worry about and to enjoy. Lord, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, help me to think about these things, I pray. In Jesus' name.